Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. All right. Today we are going to talk about the uh, special primary by mail 48 candidate mega election. So, uh, hey, Matt, it's good to see you. And it's it's been a while. It's nice to chat. And, the weather's um, been great. And, and yeah. politics has been politics. So, yeah. you know, I think it, I, I don't know. I've had like a little bit of a break here, take it, taking it kind of easy. But I guess, you know, this special election is exactly the right place to jump right back into everything. It's uh, it's exciting. There's stuff is happening and it's it's uh, forward looking rather than sort of trying to dig ourselves out of whatever hole we're already in. We just had our we, I guess it's not concluded yet. We don't have the official results, but we are um, we're looking at data from uh, Saturday night uh, came in about 1030 p.m. The third round and we've got one hundred and eight thousand votes, uh, approximately one hundred eight thousand votes that we're looking at. Um, out of maybe 130,000 or so, I think is what we're we're expecting a few more to trickle in over the next few days um, to the divisional elections as um, because this was a by mail election. And so some of the ballots are probably still like in the post. And well, I guess I'll let you uh, do the honors. What are the what's the what's the headline here? Sarah Palin leads the field by a lot. So <laughs> um, so I, I think. Okay, well, so, well before I, mean, I, dis- cap- just, lot before of I start to there. discuss the results, let's just talk about them. So, uh, you know, so it is Monday morning right now of uh, June 13th, so we don't have any continued update numbers. Um, as it stands, Sarah Palin with 29.7% of the vote, Republican Nick Begich with 19.3% of the vote, independent one-time Democratic candidate-backed candidate, uh, Al Gross with 12.47% of the vote, and then uh, former Democratic legislator uh, Mary Paltola with 7.45% of the vote. And so that's the top four that at this point would go on to the ranked choice general election. Um, rounding out the top eight, because I kind of feel like that's a good cutoff, is then uh, Republican Tara Sweeney. Um, Santa Claus, Jeff Lowenfels, don't call me a gardener, or I guess not just a gardener, uh, and Anchorage Assemblyman Christopher Constant with 3.5% of the vote. I, I think you should do the next one too, just because it's one of your faves. What is the next That's one? That's John Coghill with 2.53% of the vote. There we go. Okay. So, oh, your so, favorite after that, Josh Revac, with two point four two percent of the vote. Okay, all right. And so, um, I think to put this in context a little bit, let's talk about those numbers. So, when we're getting down to like Revac and Coghill level of voting, we're talking about two thousand six hundred, two thousand seven hundred votes, um, which is not a lot. You know, a couple of votes can make a big difference there. The sp- the spread here um, between, you know eighth place and fourth place isn't actually very big it's just like we're, we're kind of looking at four to six thousand votes separating some of these people and we have 500 what 500 some odd thousand um registered voters in alaska so um this is a primary election it's a weird primary election uh it's our first by mail primary election there's a lot to there's a lot of variables here but let's talk let's focus first on the top four yeah, I mean, I think the most surprising thing to me 
is that people were really surprised that Sarah Palin made the not only made the top four, but you know leads the pack by a large margin, right? So she's got nearly a third of the vote. I saw on on, on Saturday night like a lot of like, oh my God, what is Alaska thinking? And to me, you know, I think that uh, you know it's a really, there's a, like a million different ways you can unpack this race and sort of try to divine what it means from it. But I think it's like a good reminder that. There's there are a couple of fundamental elements of this race is that there's not there wasn't ever like a ton of choice on the Republican side. I think that if you were a dyed in the wool Republican looking at this race, you know, I think that you know, your choices were pretty much always Sarah Palin or or uh, Nick Begich. So first, really? I think that I don't I don't think I agree with you on that. Like, I, I mean, I think I, but you I think for, the... first of all, I think that you and I are notoriously bad at knowing what Republicans want. And second of all, I think that if you're a Republican in Alaska, um, you know, you, uh, there are a lot of options here in this in this field uh, from Tara Sweeney to uh, John Cockill to Josh Rivak. And also Palin was not Palin was was swimming upstream against the party influencers, the people in the Republican Party and like must read Alaska were all swinging against her. Like she yeah. was all of a sudden Sarah Palin was like the outsider again. She was the like mavericky outsider coming in to clean up our dirty politics. And it was amazing to me to see her in this like sort of um piteous role of the you know like oh i'm the aggrieved outsider that's like just trying to do good for the world and it's like oh man i kind of like i kind of wanted to root for her against the party you know it's well that so i think weird. that's exactly it i think that you know one of the things that you know people like us in our sort of siloed media and sort of public you know opinion spheres I think forget that donald trump's approval rating in alaska has sort of sat between 40 and 45 percent consistently like this he's he's kind of had this consistent sort of unmovable base of support here mm. and i think that sarah palin really kind you know captures that i think it, yeah i think it's this outsider you know as sort of discordant as that point is you know this is a former governor right as discordant yeah. as that all is i think it's still an effective point because you know i go back to looking at you know nick begich to me Right. He reads to me as the sort of traditional uh, party blessed candidate. Right. Because, you know, if this wasn't a ranked choice, if this wasn't under ballot measure two with an open primary, Nick Begich would be our representative right now, probably. Right. Because the Republicans would have put him forward and the Democrats would have put constant forward and you would have had sort of the normal sort of vote uh, metrics there. Um, so I think that, you know, I think that there's. You know, there's no no candidate. I, to me, I think Begich never really had that kind of broad appeal to, you know, the the David Eastman crowd, right? I don't know sure. how much of that kind of populist conservatives that sort of Matsu, that Kenai, that wherever else in Alaska. I I think that you know, to me, the this idea that she would kind of capture upon this sort of you know, populist, you know, with hard quotes around it, Republican thing makes to me complete sense. And so I think, you know, it to me, it, what it really tells me is, you know, discounted at, at your own risk, right? Is that Alaska has, you know, as much as we would like to tell ourselves that Alaska is this purpley, whatever, independent streak, we've got, you know, it's incredibly cohesive base of support on the right that is this sort of 
Donald Trump, Sarah Palin base that is that sort of solid 30, 30 to 40 percent vote, right, that you kind of need to account for in any race going forward. And I think to tell yourself, oh, there's no way Alaska would ever vote for someone like that. Is is that you're is putting yourself in peril, right? To is ignoring a real, you know, sure. clear warning sign about how so, things are. So, do you think her support scales? Do you think that this is like? I mean, I guess this is a primary election. I think it's really important to keep repeating that that in a, you know the people who come out and vote in a primary election are not necessarily going to be the same level of um, you know are not going to be the same demographics necessarily, or or maybe. Uh, sort of swallowed up by the demographics of a of a general election like a general election we're talking about you know you know 40 50 percent turnout maybe if we're you're also talking not uh no by mail election this next time right. around either well and i don't know how much the by mail election really impacted this i mean it made it easier for some people to return their votes but uh, but it the, made it easy you, to knock off like five thousand or more ballots too but if you look at the if you look at the returns, there it's not the in terms of like primary elections. This isn't like a outstanding primary election in terms of turnout. So I don't know that like the by mail. It, it's interesting because the by mail both it didn't seem to make it more. It didn't seem to make it lean more progressive, and it didn't seem which is the Republican fear I think of by mail voting is that more people have access to votes, more people will vote. We won't be able to like lock things up. Um, or at least that's the sort of narrative we tell ourselves. The by mail election didn't seem to skew the results. They're pretty similar to past. Yeah, actually, so you've done and work it, on this, and, right? So we're, we're talking about how the demographic or how the vote worked out. You've done you've looked at this, right? So you want to talk about. Yeah, I want to talk about the clumps a little bit. Yeah. So like what I did is I took this is not voter registration, but these are I took voting clumps um, by candidate. So let's say if every Republican candidate, if you lump all those into one group and you call that the Republican clump of votes and you take all the people who voted for Democrats and you uh, candidates that registers Democrats or undeclared or whatever, you can kind of start seeing the the clumping of the votes. And so uh, you know, you might have crossover. You might have like maybe a Democrat voted for a Republican, or maybe a nonpartisan undeclared voted for someone that was in a party. But the the end result is that the Republicans had the lion's share of the votes. Republican candidates harvested sixty percent of the primary vote, which is huge, and Democrats got fourteen percent. Nonpartisan undeclared got about like twenty four percent between them. Um, so that doesn't match Alaska's voter registration demographics, which I find is interesting. I think it either tells us that the people who are coming out for primary elections are more aligned with Republican candidates, or that maybe the Republican candidates are better at getting people out to vote in primaries, uh, or that a lot of the undeclared nonpartisans in Alaska are really Republicans. Um, and so I, you know, but that doesn't really, that third, you know, that that idea doesn't really align with what we're seeing in general elections. So um, it seems to me that like that's a pretty overwhelming Republic, like turnout for Republican candidates. And it was kind of alarming. I was like, holy, holy crap, is this a, like a giant shift? And I, so I went back and looked at, I reviewed a bunch of primary elections uh, going back to 2012, um, all the uh, U.S. representative races that Don Young was in, all the Senate races and uh, one of the governor's races that happened in that time. And almost every one of them had about 60 to 64 percent Republican uh, vote capture. 
Uh, so this is right in line with all of that. The only one that was an, an anomaly was 2020 when there was uh, 47.5% uh, Democrat, nonpartisan, undeclared, and 52% Republican. And I'm not exactly sure what happened there, um, why that primary skewed differently, but every other primary was over 60% Republican votes. And some, you know, like we had the two ballots before, so this is really easy to to know how many people selected each ballot. I guess what I'm saying is like, this seems pretty in line with what we've seen in the past. This primary election seems right on, both in terms of the total number of votes and in terms of the vote distribution. So a pretty normal race. <laughs> yeah, I mean, d despite all the weirdness, yeah. So I think like the real interesting discussion, right, is like what's next? You know, can we divine from these results how the next election is going to go, right? And so, now the, so the we had kind of talked about the top of the results, but you know, so then uh, the next two or next three would be Republican Nick Begich, um, who's kind of the centrist Republican with, you know, again, quotes, establishment, re establishment Republican. Right? <laughs> we were going to talk about the top four and all we did was talk about Sarah Palin and <laughs> then get distracted. Yeah. So let's talk about the other three. Let's do and that. then uh, so you got Nick Begich, who's been running forever. Uh, people thought, you know, that a lot of his negative against Don Young stuff would come back to bite him. Turns out when you have a uh, media machine that is pretty prefer, you know, pretty preferential to you, that uh, turns out a lot of that stuff goes away pretty quick. Um, and then you got Al Gross, you know, uh, enemy slash friend of the Democratic Party, depending on who you ask and when you ask it. Uh, in number three, and then uh, former legislator Mary Poltola, and fourth would now be a good time for us to to go back in time and to talk about like what are what we initially thought was going to happen with this race because i i think that that's interesting too is that we we went through this entire list of 48 candidates and we picked out our top four very early on before we'd even seen any of these people really even launch a website or anything and we were i don't know in some ways we were fantastically wrong but in some ways we were we were, we had some interesting uh choices here i mean I, I think, think that, yeah do you want to or go ahead? Well, I mean, well, I'd, let me just say that my top four that I picked were Sweeney, Santa Claus, Palin, and Peltola. So I got two out of four. I think we were a lot more uh, convinced that people would be voting purple or blue in these elections. So mine was Sweeney, Claus, Constant, and Palin. So the only <laughs> one that we both got right was Sarah Palin. <laughs> right. I'm actually really surprised Santa Claus didn't do better. I thought that for sure we would see, you know, that, I mean, it was a name recognition race and he had the like tons of name recognition. He, he got a lot of national news that was fed back into Alaska. That's like basically free advertising. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, to me, you know, I think when I was getting down to who I was going to vote for, right? Like it was this sort of, it was complicated to sort of how, you know, what kind of factors were leading into it. And we were listening back to uh, our discussion at the beginning of the race. And one of my things was like, I want a candidate who's going to use this as a stepping stone for the general. And I kind of think that that sort of stuff matters more. You know, the fact that he isn't going to be running in the general election, you know, mm -hmm. I think it becomes more difficult to really want to invest in him. I think that, you know, you could have seen a pack that is supportive of him, right? But when he's not going to, you know, it's going to be a four-month term. So it's like, right. 
you know, it's like almost like memeing yourself into the election, you know. So, um, yeah, and we saw that all four of the top candidates are going to be running in in the real election, right? Mm-hmm. What was my other one? Tara Sweeney, uh, she was close. She was number five yeah. um, uh, or isn't sitting at number five right now. I think the only one that was there that was kind of a big surprise is you you thought Constant was going to do a lot better. I don't know what happened there. That's a really because he had a head start, really. Right. He was. I mean, I think, you know, I, I know like my theory of the, you know, the Republican side being pretty focused. I think it's more mostly in comparison to the progressive side of things. Right. So, you know, it became incredibly crowded on the progressive side of the ticket. You know, so you have, uh, you know, you could people can certainly quibble with it. But Al Gross is a progressive person. You know, he's very centrist, but he's, you know, on the, I would consider him in that realm. You know, you have Peltola, you have Constant, you have, you know, Lowenfels, you have Claus. You had a lot of these candidates, you know, Wool, for example, Adam Wool. All these candidates were anywhere from moderately serious to serious candidates. And I think that on the conservative side of things, I still go back, you know, the really the two main conservative campaigns in this race have been and have always been Sarah Palin and, and Nick Begich. And I get, you know, Tara Sweeney and Josh Revac. But, like, I, I just don't see, I just never saw the same level of, like, institutional focus on any one of these candidates the way that the Republicans had done it, right? Because you had the, you know, this the party endorsed Begich and President Trump endorsed Palin and you kind of had sort of these like markers that were saying at least, hey, these are the two candidates that we want. Whereas, you know, I think you kind of looked in any sort of direction on any day and it seemed like there, you know, one of the progressive candidates was winning or there was some new red flag that was going to sink them or they made some comment on Twitter that was just like invalidating for, you know, them as a, as a human being that kind of stuff. And it was just, I don't know, I think I, I saw a lot more somewhere between confusion and contention on the progressive side of the ticket. So I think the idea that you ended up with, you know, 10 candidates that split whatever, you know, I think that there's, I, I, you know, I don't know if you add all eyes together. I don't think you get, you know, the same level, but I still, but I think that they split their pool a lot more than anybody else did. Yeah. And so we're, you know, go back to talking about that vote clumping and the Democrats, you know, Democrats and progressives, they don't have a lot of vote to go around. Um, so, you know, compared to the number of candidates they had, that was, and, and I think what you said is, is accurate is that it didn't seem like they were aligned behind any one particular candidate in any sort of institutional terms. Did, did, do you remember if the, did the party come out really strong for anyone? Not really. No, I don't Cause think Cause I so. think that would have made a huge difference. Like if the party had just said like. The party came out strong against Al Gross. <laughs> yeah. Well, that didn't matter at all. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and they kind of did that later on after a lot of ballots had been returned, too. Right. And so, I mean, I, I, I think it's interesting when you look at that. I mean, I think, you know, what we start to talk about, like, what's next with it is, you know, this is how, you know, this is all enabled by ballot measure, too, right? Because, you know, I think it's important to remember that the previous system this weekend would have been our general election where the candidates would have been picked by the parties, right? So we would have had a pre-set list, pre-approved list by the parties that we would have been voting on. And, um, you know, I certainly Palin wouldn't be at the top of that list because she wouldn't have been approved by the party. You know, you now you see candidates, the support 
you know, that we all voted for one of our 48 candidates of choice, and now you get four, and now you get to rank them. And so I think that that element of of strategy there is going to be really interesting because, you know, I don't, I don't think, I think anybody who says that they know how this next race is going to play out is, is crazy. But like, you know, I think it's just, that's what I think is really interesting to me now is that, you know, we get to kind of run through these different um, sort of scenarios of how the general rank choice would work out. You know, does Sarah Palin stay in it the whole way through or does, you know, do you end up with a situation where, you know, someone gets eliminated and all of a sudden Palin gets eliminated or, or, you know, how does that work? And I think that's going to be a really interesting element of it all. Yeah. So I think that given our stellar track record thus far and predicting everything and being 100% right all the time, I think that we should continue to speculate. Um, and one of the things that I'd, that I'd like to bring into play here is that the, the, you know, for this special election cycle, the general election will be another primary. And depending on what the turnout looks like, if, if, if the primary turnout, uh, you know, as I've said, the primary turnout is different than the general election turnout. The demographics appear to be different than the general election turnout. But if we're looking at primary election turnout for the general special election, it, we could be it could just be a sea of Republican voters and and really the progressive candidates won't have any chance at all because there's, you know, as we've seen here today, there's 60 percent of the votes are for Republican candidates. And so I don't know how you overcome that in any way, shape or form. So, you know, if we have the same turnout on in August, this is what we're looking at is probably Palin or Begich for for the four month term. For right. The and term. so and what's I think is really interesting about it is the order in which candidates get eliminated right so the way it works is that the the person with the lowest number of votes at that stage so in the first round if your fourth place finisher gets eliminated right so you might be able to look if you were able to kind of like look at how everybody ranked them together you know maybe baggage maybe Gout gross is the guy if everyone's best second second best candidate right but if so say like um it could end up though where you know your second your second choice is the first guy eliminated, right? And then your first choice is the second guy eliminated. So it's interesting, like you know, to talk about it. Where you know, I think some of the simulations I've seen, it ends up with a race between, um, you know, like so for example, like Peltola would get eliminated. Her votes would kind of go toward Gross, you know, and then. Palin would somehow get eliminated and her votes would go towards baggage. But I'm making to me, a face I think, at you right now. But to me, I think it's really interesting. It was a, first of all, there's a couple things I think is really just important to keep in mind here, which is the ranking doesn't every sort of indication we have so far is that ranking and second choices isn't like tidy, right? That you look at, you know, for example, in the gubernatorial like election polling, you know, when if Lascara is in the final four and he gets eliminated, Begich gets his, or sorry, Dunleavy would get a pretty sizable bump in that. Like it's a, so I think that's an, like an important thing to keep in mind is that like one candidate doesn't neatly go into another candidate, right? So you know, a Peltola voter could vote, you know, however on right. the so rank in a second. Every time second. someone gets eliminated, some percentage of votes will evaporate because they didn't rank someone else. Some percentage of votes will go to candidate A. Some percentage of votes will go to candidate B. 
Um, and it's not always the one that you think. So, you know, so it's, it's, hard, it's hard to guess at that. But I think that where we should start here is we should start by by filling in the, the missing votes. So 32% of the people in this primary election voted for a candidate who is not in the top four. Where is that 32% going to go? And how is that going to impact people's number one votes? So do you think that, you know, in the in a situation where the rest of these candidates are eliminated, how does that bolster the chances of the existing top four candidates? So because 32% is enough, if they mm -hmm. all, if, if every one of those people that is eliminated out of the top four voted for one candidate, that candidate could, would be the winner. Right. So, right. Which, where are these going to go? Obviously it's not going to go to one candidate, but I think that when we talk about, this this diffusion of progressive votes you see a lot of votes for like wool and santa claus and things like that is assume that a lot of those are probably going to end up with peltola right yeah i mean i think that's that is what is the interesting element to it because i think we end up mapping candidates right by by partisan lean which is kind of the nash is a safe way to do it nationally but like you know there's other elements in here there's alaska native votes so i would say you know there's some of Tara Sweeney's votes probably end up in the Paltola camp. Um, I think that, you know, some of those sort of things go, you know, I think biting my tongue because there's a million different <laughs> uh, tangents we can go down on that. But yeah, I think, you know, I, to me, what I, is going to be interesting, I don't know how it will break down, but to me, what would be interesting is does Paltola in the, the next race, does she leapfrog Al Gross? You know, that, could have a big impact because i think you know al gross does his do his voters go a certain way more you know they do, they probably diffuse in a very different way than peltola voters right mm -hmm. but one of the really interesting things so i'm kind of supposing that either peltola or gross will get eliminated on the first go around just just guessing here just to i mean that makes you know, sense just, based on where they are right now and but the, my question is so i would assume you know it's probably it will probably be somewhere around where we're now you know maybe 10 percent more out add 10 percent to everybody or five percent to everybody right just sort of just let's just sort of make it real easy mm -hmm. but you know is there a point where if peltola or grocer are eliminated do they does that new round three does that make them leapfrog nick baggage and to the point where all of a sudden Nick Begich is eliminated. You know, Nick Begich is probably the most sort of broad, you know, if we're being honest, right, if we're the most broadly acceptable candidate might be Nick Begich, just because he's, you know, this sort of quote unquote centrist moderate Republican, but he could be end up uh, eliminated right on the third round or second round. And then you end up with a head to head between these candidates. So anyways, it's all to say is like, it could go a lot of different ways, right? And I think it, it, to me, I think the really interesting question is like, now is, you know, how does this start to play out at this, at the next level? And, and, and in what order are candidates eliminated, right? Because, so my sort of the, the big thing I, I look at right now, as far as, you know, evaluating how ranked choice voting works is you look at the New York City mayoral election, right? There, you ended up with three sort of progressive candidates, right? And the one in the middle was kind of the most broadly acceptable, but she was the first to be eliminated. So then it goes, the centrist got eliminated. Then the, the uh, race you're, I think the race you're talking about is completely different than the way we're running our elections. And I don't think it's relevant. 
I mean, I've, I've seen, just, like, I've looked saying, at that New York saying, race. I've well, seen I'm it come up in discussions the, a lot. It's got a ton more candidates in, in ranking. You're not ranking yeah. four candidates. Um, but, I think it's totally irrelevant. But I would say, you know, I, I think, though, this idea that um, we would automatically end up with a centrist candidate out of this system is not necessarily true, right? That I'm looking at this race, I'm looking at these numbers, and I, I'm seeing, you know, it just, you know, that, that ballot measure two or this ranked choice election could very well end up with Sarah Palin as the winner. Yeah, right. But it, it also also is really interesting because it could, it, we might not be, right? Because that's, I think, like, you know, and I think that's the fun part about it because if this was sort of the straight first-past-the-post traditional system, I mean, she would she, she would, would get in with 30 percent of the vote. Yeah. But because it's it's this new system where the votes get reassigned. And, that, and this and is redone. the thing about ranked choice voting that, like, frustrates me is that, you know, it's it, ranked choice voting isn't designed so that your candidate wins. It's it's designed so that the candidate that the most voters support wins and so if the most voters in alaska support palin she's gonna win and that's like right that's, that's how it works right so but i think i think the other element so I, mean, I think people it's just that are angry because... about people that are angry about palin winning should like that's because people are voting for her right it's not because it's not it's not because there's some magic system that's in place that's going to give us peltola with seven percent of the vote <laughs> like that shouldn't exist you don't want someone that's you know right like, Right. So for, I, I for, it, for someone the, like Peltola to win, she needs to gather up all the wool voters, all the Santa Claus voters. She needs to get all that support. She needs to soak that up and then she needs to come into the race and then she needs to form an alliance with Al Gross so that if he if he loses first, that all he's telling all his people to vote for her number two. And if she loses first, she's telling all her people to vote for him for number two. And then right. that's the only way that you get is by building that kind of like unity and cohesion and solidarity. That's the only way that you get a progressive candidate through a a dominantly you know it's 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 wildly red and there's so like to to lose is if you're a progressive candidate to lose is there's no shame in that to win is it would be shocking and right and to, to win would take a lot and and i you know i and and maybe it shouldn't happen if if it's if the cohesion and the the will of the voters isn't there like you need all those number two votes to make that happen and that's yeah the only way it's well happen. and you also need enough number one votes to survive Right. Because right. that's the problem is that I think that's that's what I was trying to talk about is some of the strategy with it, which is that, you know, I think that someone might be the best second choice candidate for everybody. But be, if they don't get past the first or second round, then it doesn't matter. Right. So Al Gross might have the most number of second choice votes of any candidate. Yeah. But if he doesn't have enough first vo- first round votes to then get into matter. those those rounds, yeah. then it, it starts to fall, not to fall apart, but it just doesn't work out the same way. Yeah. So, you know, you look at, I think, you know, that other election you, that, that we I dare not talk about, but, you know, that moderate candidate might have been everybody's second choice vote, but she wasn't enough first choice votes for to, for to get through to it. So there's yeah, some but I think of, the like, question is, like, should that person have won? Right. Like, maybe I, I think they shouldn't exactly have won, and that's point. okay. Yeah. yeah. Like... like I'm just yeah, but you know, so if somebody's the most number of second choice votes, does that? If someone comes to me with like this New York election, 
this candidate that I like that was in the middle didn't win, and this is why the election system is bad. Like that doesn't hold any water with me because like I, there's okay. Well, I'm not saying that the election system is bad. Other people liked. Uh, there are things that bother me about it. I I I would have preferred to have seen a scored voting system. I think that like ranked choice is. Uh, you know, it's kind of confusing. It's got this weird, like people, like instant runoff thing. If you had a scored voting system, you could actually just see the the scoring, and it would make mm-hmm. a lot more sense. You know, if you had like a a zero to two, zero to two, zero one two, you can you can score each candidate a zero, a one, or a two. Then you add up those numbers, and whoever gets the most points wins. Like that. Yeah, I want a new system instead of one person one vote. It's one person ten votes. No, I, <laughs> now you're making it more complicated. You're you're uh, you're. No, I. But yeah, I think like that yeah. is it's really interesting because you know I think that you know I I like you know I I think yeah right we can like quibble with like you know the candidates we can be shocked that Sarah Palin got thirty percent of the vote, but right like. I think you're 100% right, which is, like, if that's who survived, you know, if that's who Alaska voters through the system pick, then that's how who they pick, right? But I, and what I, I like about it, too, is, again, that, you know, Sarah Palin, Mary Paltola, Al Gross, none of them would be on this ballot. None of them would be even in this discussion if not for this new election system, right? Yeah. So, and I sure, think that's, that's it, the big thing is it that has, we're opening up the primaries, right? Yeah, we're, like, we're, sure, we we now, because we don't have the party gatekeepers, at, you know, deciding who's on this ballot, we got, Sarah, you know, Sarah Palin's at the top of it now, but we also have, we have these other candidates, too, that would also not be on this ballot. I think the point that you bring up about, you know, this is still going to be a primary election that this will be taking place on, you know, are these underlying sort of Republican favoring demographics? Will they continue to affect this here? Probably. But I think you can you can game it out all sorts of different ways, which I think is what I'm trying to do here. Which yeah. Is, well, I think the other interesting thing is that this isn't the, the end of the story. This is what we're talking about right now is a special election for like a four month period that's you know just a, a seat warmer basically and what the real election is going to happen in november and what happens in this election might you know impact the november election there might be some some backlash to whatever happens in this so if sarah palin wins in this one that might hurt her in november well and that's why that's what i think is what bugs me about some of the initial knee-jerk reaction of like oh i can't believe alaska would vote for this person and i'm like well first of all yeah, if you are surprised that a concern, you know, a populist Trump endorsed candidate has a lot of juice in Alaska, like you haven't been paying attention. Second of all, if you really don't want her, you need to work at it. You know, yeah. like democracy is not a spectator sport, right? So, like, if you really don't want her to be in it, like, get out there and and get involved or or, or whatever you need to do to try to change that dial. Like, you know, that's like how it, that's how it works, right? And I think that this. To me, I think maybe that's just what I've been irked about is this idea that Sarah Palin couldn't possibly do this. And it's like, of course she can, you know, yeah. and I don't I don't need like a bunch of magical explain explainers about how she she did it. Like Trump is still pretty popular here if you haven't been paying yeah. attention. She's she's obviously the most favorite candidate out of the 48 that we had. Right. And would it be different if, you know, if everyone was neatly aligned on the other side or if everyone is only four people to, you know, maybe, right? Like we'll find out pretty quick here. Yeah. 
Yeah. So if I'm Mary Poltola, I'm, I'm, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about was, was this geographic thing. And, and, and you thought that maybe Coghill had a shot because he was one of the Republicans running in a geographic area that was a little bit isolated. And it, he, if he hit the ground hard and just focused on locally, local votes, he could have got enough votes to crack the top four. And I think that you're right about that. But if you look at district, uh, the old, these are old district numbers, by the way, for this election. Um, oh, that is so if, frustrating. If you look too. at district three and four, which is the former Coghill Senate seat, right, the the that Fairbanks area, he didn't do well. He got third place in district three, and he got fifth place in district four on his home turf, right? I remember this is this is also a district that sent him packing from his Senate district, right? It, it is, but he's he's got a lot of support there still, and then the. Well, apparently he doesn't. Never mind. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the perception I think that we had when we talked about this was that he probably had some support at home. But you know, so that that didn't play out. But what I but when I was looking at those, what I saw was that was that Adam Wool and Santa Claus both did really well there. And so if they're not going to be in the race in you know for the for the real election for the you know for the for the real deal, then that's a great place for Peltola to go set up camp. Or for Al Gross mm-hmm. to go set up camp, to go in and say, hey, I've got a great relationship with uh, with um, Adam Wool, and I want all your all you guys that were going to vote for him. This is why you should come vote for me. And, you know, if you look at um, a, a District 4 specifically, like Adam Wool and Santa Claus both beat out Coghill. And it was, a, you know, that's a that's a, that's a lot of votes right there just kind of waiting to be scooped up. And I think that you could kind of go through this district by district um, if you're a candidate and really identify those areas where the voters are going to be looking for a new person to vote for because their their favorite candidate is either going to drop out or not be represented in the in the real primary election that's coming up in August. The real one. It is the real one, right? And and we could even see a different top four come out of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like a good thing to keep in mind is that, you know, this is the, you get four months in this seat, right? You know, one of my refrains, too, is like how much, you know, trouble can a single person get it up to in Congress in four months? I, you know, I'm ready to eat those words when I find out just what Sarah, you know, Representative Sarah Palin does. But, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that, like, you know, in some of these previous races, I think, you know, your campaign would maybe write off some of these areas as a lost cause or something like that. But you look at these numbers, you look at the kind of the breadth of the choices these voters are making. I think it's a good reminder, right, that, you know, especially in this race where a handful of votes can make the difference and every vote's going to really matter, you know, especially in those rankings. Um, I think, yeah, there's a lot more reason or motivation to kind of go to bat for like more, more and more broad votes, I think, than before. Do we, do we want to rank? Do we do want to sit down and rank how the primary is going to go out so we can go visit this back in four months and go, ah, oh, man. Man, we were wrong. I think yeah. it's very likely that we're going to get Palin or Begich out of this temporary term. Um, and then I, th- I think that what we see in terms of the top four in August, it's possible that it could be different. We'll see. We'll see which candidates you know, decide to stay in the race and go harder and which candidates decide to get out of the race and endorse someone else. Um, and I think we've seen some signs. It, it looked like maybe Adam Wool was going to step out and, and I don't know if he's going to endorse someone. Um, it looked, you know, Santa Claus, we already know is going to step out. I don't know if he'll endorse someone, but I think that there's a, there's a real duty, you know, in terms of like, if you, if you're a progressive candidate, you obviously care enough about these progressive values that you want to see them 
you don't want to see Sarah Palin win, right? So it seems like you'd want to do the right thing and try and align yourself behind a candidate that maybe has at least some kind of outside shot at disrupting that. So hopefully a lot of these candidates that are stepping out of the race aren't going to just throw their hands up and walk away, but are going to take an active role in promoting whoever they see as a good viable alternative. Yeah, and I think it's going to be hard to really judge either of these races, I think, in the grand scheme of things. Because, right, like, you know, they're rarely going to see a 48-person open primary. So I think, like, kind of untangling all these different elements is going to be, I think, tough. Um, but, you know, I think it's really important to, like, look at the legislative races, which is a story I think we're going to save for another day. But, you know... Every single one except for one of the 59 legislative races is not going to have an impactful primary, right? That every single candidate except for, I think, one yeah. will be going from the primary election into the general election, I think. And and to me, like as somebody who you know has been following the legislature for a long time and is a little biased about it, but you know the legislature is much more impactful for most Alaskans than anything that this congressional seat's going to be doing, you know? Yeah. And so, or at least uh, that Don Young had done over the last decade, or right? So. You know, yeah. and 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 so I think it's going to be really interesting to look at how it impacts these smaller races, these more regional races, these races where you actually have like more than just the party affiliation separating people. You know, you have you know several races where it's only Republicans in it, right? And you have very several different flavors of Republicans. You have your John Coghills you know, John Coghill-esques and you have your, you know, extreme right-wingers. And and then on, on the progressive side, too, there's a couple races, right, where there's only Democrats in the race, right? And these are, you know, races where in the past it would have been completely decided by the primary and that would have been it. And so yeah. I think having this new system apply to these other areas, like I think it's easy to get kind of doom and gloomy about this as a progressive person looking at this race. But it's a, I think the other important reminder is that Hey, a Republican's been in this seat forever, and yeah. a Republican was likely to have this seat going forward, right? Um, and I think you're right. Like the the voting system isn't meant to make your candidate win, right? Like we shouldn't be looking at it that way. I, I think it's important to remember that like there's a lot of other races that are going to be happening under the system than you know this race for for Congress, and I think seeing how it plays out in these other races is going to be really important and really yeah. interesting too. For the state legislature, it's going to be, uh, you know, essentially most of those races is going to be kind of preliminary polling. You know, mm-hmm. it'll be, uh, it'll be a jumping off point for a candidate to know that they either need to get in gear or, or that they're, or that they have a comfortable lead, right. And that they can't squander. So it's going to be a little bit of a kind of accurate point in time polling of the voters. So, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be a little bit of jockeying for position after that. It's like once you see how maybe you've got a district with three people running, you're going to know really fast who the person to beat is, and that'll change the tactics of the other folks in the race. Again, the main thing that I really like about this is it pushes all that stuff into the general election. You know, it, in the past, so many important decisions were being made in the primary by a very small slice of voters. And as we can see, that very small slice of voters leans heavily Republican in every primary election for the last, you know, like decade. So yeah. maybe it's I mean, better, that, point. Yeah, maybe this it's better a, this that this is, a, is pushing things yeah. into the general. Yeah, right. Yeah. We were having races decided in the primary, a primary voting block that votes 30 percent for Sarah Palin. Right. So. I, yeah, I think it's exactly the right point to kind of take away from it is that 
you know, thank God the race isn't decided at this point. Because typically, right, if, if this was a traditional election, right, it would have been Sarah Palin versus Nick Begich in the Republican primary with a couple other people. She would have won, and she would have gone on to the general with a pretty clear shot at winning, right? Yep. And uh, so having it now like this is really interesting because, right, it's it's totally feasible. It's totally within the, the realm of potential outcomes that Sarah Palin, she might finish with 30%, but she could still get knocked out, you know, in the, in the, in the ranking system, and we would end up with a more broadly acceptable candidate, right? And I think that is... That's really interesting. Well, and Begich could be in a position where he needs to sort of acquiesce to some of like maybe say Al Gross voters because that's the next person down the spectrum. Maybe he needs to make some concessions for them so that they're going to vote for him number two. So maybe that's something where Begich looks at the Gross platform and says, well, here's two or three things I can really, you know, swallow and picks those up and, and runs with them and says, listen, if you, you know, I, I, I know I'm not your guy, but. These three issues that Al Gross talks about are are three that I can get behind and you know make part of my campaign platform. You know, yeah, and that, because, that kind you know, of concession is is good. Yeah, because you know, and that's the thing too is if if both uh, Gross and Peltola voters only vote each other and then don't vote down the ballot or none of them go to Begich, then we, you know, you probably end up with with a, a Palin. You know, um, but I think that's the thing is that you look at you look at every sort of simulation so far. And it doesn't, you know, I think that's a really interesting element is I you would love to kind of know the Democratic less Gara voters who are ranking Dunleavy second, right? Like that's a, yeah. you know, it's a thing that I think that the every campaign should be taking close watch of and under, understanding why that is and understanding, you know, how do you, you know, break in there and, and kind of get your candidates from these other people, right? I think there's a mindset there that's maybe, you know, you might have a voter that says, I want the best of what I want. This is who I'm going to rank number one. And if I don't get it, I'm going to give them the worst of what they want. And, you know, vote for I mean, I've certainly Sarah. thought about that. I'm like, well, yeah. who do I rank? How do I rank this next ballot, right? Yeah. Do I put... You know, I, I kind of don't like baggage. Do I put Palin above him or do I vote but nobody, right? Like, I think that's you know, I think that's one of those interesting things. And I think that's why I really struggled with seeing much of the polling because a lot of the polls right now, um, when they're doing the ranked choice element, don't give you a, a, an option to not rank anybody, right? So, you know, you rank your one, you rank your two, and then you say, well, I don't want to rank a third. And they go, well, that's not an option on here. And I think that really, like that, not rank, not continuing to rank somebody, is a really important piece of strategy here. And so I think it's, you know, I think what the messaging is really frustrating too. Sometimes you see people talk, you rank your candidates one through four. No, you, you don't have to rank them one through four. You rank them one, two, or one, or you know, you rank them however you want. And um, and so to see this kind of that that way of it working is sort of. See, to see it kind of simplified like that is really kind of frustrating because it's like not voting for somebody is a really important part of how the system works, right? right. Because I think yeah. you look at some of you look at the gubernatorial election, right? Do the far right candidates do they turn around and rank whoever you know? Yeah, it's a good I mean, question. Right? The and the write in becomes more potent too because now I can write in num- number one. I'm going to rank number one. I'm going to rank Matt Buxton because he is my preferred candidate. And then number two through five, I'm going to rank the rest of the people that are on the ballot. And so you could actually run into a situation where, you know, functionally for voters, 
that's really good because now you can write in whoever you want without the cost of you know expending your your vote because if that person doesn't win it just goes to your next mm-hmm. you know candidate logistically for divisional elections that's probably a nightmare if every alaskan writes in a candidate and then votes for their <laughs> top you know four but but i think that it's i think that that's fascinating to me because then you got a situation like the Murkowski write in and writing in Murkowski doesn't mean not voting for Scott McAdams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, don't forget to vote, I guess is, the, I mean, I mean the, I think the takeaway here is that well, if don't you, forget to put your, uh, identifier, your signature and your witness signature on stuff because I think well, like 5,000 ballots got knocked out this mm-hmm. round because they're missing one of those it there's a little bit of like a kind of a misconception that um your signature didn't match the the city the state doesn't doing have that, any signature verification system yeah in place that would take a change in law so it simply that number is people that didn't follow the directions and, and hit all the boxes on it so yeah. um but that I by think, mail uh, that was unique for this by mail we're not doing by mail next time are we Right. This is all. Yeah. But if you're doing absentee, to... it's important to keep in mind that you got to do all that stuff. So, yeah. Uh, and there's no curing process in Alaska. So if you're forgot to put your birthday or, or whatever identifier on there, you're SOL. So um, I think it's really important to, you know, moving forward, you know, I think it's important to, you know, listen to the messaging, put messaging out there on about the proper way to fill out these ballots. But I also think that there's a really good. You know, some lessons learned from this election about, you know, the communication level that is needed. I think there needed to be more clear communication about how to put down some of this stuff. You know, I, I noticed in some of the Division of Elections materials, they had, you know, one of them said anybody or official. One of them said an official or anybody, you know. And I think mm-hmm. it was just some of that kind of inconsistent messaging, I think, makes it really confusing for voters. And I think anything that puts, you know, an impediment to voting, like... I don't think 5,000 people were trying to commit voter fraud, right? Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of those people, you know, just read the directions wrong. And yeah. then, and therefore, their votes don't count. And the, those are 5,000 votes that surely could make a difference in this race, right? Yeah, that's enough to and crack so, the top five. So I think that there's a lot of, you know, from a systems level, from an administrative level, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from this. I think Alaska clearly needs a few more steps before we're going to do an entire by mail election. One of those big things being, you know, whether or not the ballot system is accessible to visually disabled voters, or visually impaired voters. Right. That um, almost stalled everything. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were going to have a system, you know, the, the, on Friday, it was looking like they were going to maybe keep the vo- election open until all visually impaired voters had an opportunity to vote. The Supreme court, you know, said, no, we can't, we're not going to do that. We're going to, the election's the election. But I think that, you know, like to me, I think, you know, some of these issues, this is not like the first, you know, hiccup for the Alaska divisions of elections. Like wasn't too long ago when they forgot to send ballots to a community. It wasn't too long ago before, you know, all these issues raised by the pandemic came up and, and were kind of piecemeal resolved. And so, you know, I think that there are, some elements here that are, are would be good you know to be talking about now you know hopefully we have the right people considering these issues moving forward you know so pay attention to your legislative races very closely i would say um 
and yeah. gubernatorial. The ballot curing, I think, is something that I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some legislation on. I think division elections is doing a great job overall. They've had to deal with a lot of changes, uh, both in terms of how they're getting ballots out and how they're getting information out and how they're messaging to voters. And now the election ch- system has changed. And then we've got the special election on top of it. They've really had to, like bend over backwards for all these changes and they've been i think they've been adapting and dealing with it pretty gracefully and there's going to be some votes lost in the process because of how rapidly that's all changing because it's a complicated thing to pull off an election um but i think that as we settle into this over the next couple of years i think that hopefully the division of elections will get you know will be able to hammer out some of those inconsistencies yeah, I mean, and, and 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 you know the other thing to point out with the the site, you know, the the, the lawsuit is it was filed, you know, just days before the election was going to happen, right? So it was there was not a lot of time for a resolution there. It was not a lot of time between when that issue was raised and when the election was happening. So you know there are definitely ways in a lot of these areas where it can all be done better, um, but you know I think that you know these are these are you know I think the ballot curing issues is an incredibly important thing to be um, looking at. And I would hope that, you know, and, and I'd hope you know, that's sort of the tricky thing with all these things is that, it, you know, as soon as you open up election legislation, it becomes, you know, a Pandora's box for whatever kind of weird stuff that people can dream up. So, you know, there's always a bit of hesitancy with it where it's like, yeah, we got a problem. I don't know if we need to fix it because I don't know if the fix is going to make it that much worse. But that's a whole different conversation for another day. All right. Well, hey, uh, it's nice catching up with you. I'm going to be running off into the woods for a little while. So um, maybe we'll catch up in a few weeks um, Sounds when, good. I, when I get back into, and pick the sticks out of my beard. Um, all right. Cool. It's uh, good talking to you and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye, Matt. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Hello to you out there. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to support our work, you can find Matt Buxton at MidnightSunAK.com. He puts out a daily newsletter about what's going on in Alaska politics and the legislature, and it's just really great writing. Uh, and if you want to support my work, you can find me at Patreon.com slash Alaska Robotics. And that supports my time editing this podcast and doing a lot of other things like comics and watercolor paintings and things like that. So I really do appreciate it. And a big thanks to Marion Call, whose music we excerpted uh, for our theme song of our show. Uh, That comes from Real Alaskan Girl. Uh, Go check it out on Bandcamp.